Romans chapter 1 this morning. I want us to look at a few verses. Would you stand with me just for a couple minutes and uh, out of the reverence of the reading of the Word of God, Romans chapter 1, and would you look at verse 8? The Bible tells us this one thing. He says, first, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the world, whole world, excuse me. For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit in the gospel of his Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers, making request, if by any means, now at length, I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. For I long to see you, that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift, to the end ye may be established. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both of you and me. Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. I am a debtor, both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So I, as much as in me, is I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. Father. Lord, I ask you to give me the strength that I need, the words that I, that not of my mind, but Lord of your mouth, that you would want me to say, Father, I ask you to be with those saints here this morning, to have an open hear and readiness to hear of your word. Father, I beg of you to be in the conviction work of that one who's never trusted you as their personal Savior, Lord, that they will not leave here without knowing, without a hundred percent, if they were to die, where they would go. Father, I ask you to help us today. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. In my life, I am very thankful to be acquainted and able to talk to and be able to worship with some really great godly men in my life. So, so much that I believe these godly men that who walked with God and who served God without apology, their, their, their lives transformed and helped transform my life. Is God still working on me? Is God still using uh, their lives to transform my life? Yes. I I thank God for the song. He's still working on me to make me what I ought to be. You know what? I'm not there yet, and I never will be until I leave this world, until I go into the next. But as I think about all those good godly men that have stepped before me who have preached God's word, who I've watched to go uh, in and out of service and, you know, they've gotten old and they've walked with God uh, without uh, falling away. And I thank God for this. I, I can only look at this scripture and think about Paul in the same way. I never got to see or talk with Paul, but I can actually read of his life all the influence that he had there on different churches. And here he's talking to the church of Rome, and I find out what kind of influence that he wants to be upon their life and what he wants to do. He wants to be that benefit to them. What a great 
great picture of a Christian for us this morning. I entitled my message, What Every Christian Should Be. You know, this is a hard message. Because, as I said, God's still working on me, and I'm not the greatest of Christians. But you know what? God's still working. God's still changing. You say, well, pastor, preacher, you know what? I've seen what God can do. Well, the same thing that God did in the yestermen, those preachers of yesteryear, those saints of God of yesteryear, is the same God that can still work in my life today. And we got to be willing This morning, what I want to do is I want to take a few minutes and I want to apply my life and your life and how we measure up to the life of Paul and what he did for Christ. But before I do that, if you're saved this morning, I'll be talking to you this morning. So before I talk to you this morning, I want to talk to someone else this morning. See, I can't talk to you if you've never trusted Christ as your personal Savior. This message is not for you. Listen to me, that message that I'm about to, to preach to the, to the saved, to the saint, is not for you. Before I talk to the Christians this morning, I need to talk to you. This is anyone who has never trusted Christ as their personal Savior. See, listen, the Bible says in Romans chapter 3 and verse 23, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. You know what? That means all men. How did I become a sinner? Romans 5.12 Wherefore as by one man sin entered into the world and death by sin so death passed upon all men for all men have sinned. You know for you to be a sinner let me tell you what you got to do. Absolutely nothing. You have to do absolutely nothing. All you have to do is be born and die. And you'll be a sinner. And you'll spend eternity in hell. You say, I I don't like the way you're talking. I can't help it. If you don't like it, you take it up with God. Because I didn't write it. God did. You know, when you look the word sin up, it means to, to deliberately be disobedient to the known will of God. A condition of estrangement from God resulting from such disobedience. Estrangement. To make hostile, unsympathetic, or indifferent, or to alienate. You know, even if you say, I don't believe, I don't believe that I'm a sinner when I'm born. It doesn't matter what you believe, but even if you don't believe it, understand this. Every man is lied. The Bible says, and all liars shall have their place in the lake of fire which burneth. That's a hard place to get out of. It's a hard thought to try to comprehend, but it's true. See, because of sin, it has separated us from a holy God, and no man can get into heaven to get to God, no matter how much I try, no matter how much I want to be good, no matter how wet I get, no matter what I do. Listen to me. There's nothing that I could do. I I love my wife. We've been married 27 years. I thank God for, you know what, do we have a, a, a perfect marriage? No. You know, it's it's always me saying, honey, forgive me. 
but I love her and I do anything for her. She knows this. But if I was on this side of the Grand Canyon and I'm looking and my wife's on the other side of the Grand Canyon and I want to be with her and I want to do everything I can, no matter what, I cannot get to her without a bridge. You say, well, I think I can jump it, okay? Let's do it this way. The Grand Canyon is 277 miles long, 18 miles wide, attains a depth of over 6,093 feet deep. Can you jump it? Last time I looked, I don't wear a red cape and wear my underwear on the outside of my pants. It don't work that way. So what do I do? I'll have to spend time trying to build a bridge to my wife. Guess what? We can't build a bridge to God. There's nothing that we can do except for what John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him shall not perish but have everlasting life. It's the gift in which He has given us, and we have to accept that perfect gift. Why? Because according to Isaiah 64.6, But we are all as unclean thing, and all of our righteousness are as filthy rags. You say, how do I become a Christian? Thank you for asking. Romans chapter 10 and verse 9, that if I shall confess with thy mouth the Lord Jesus and shall believe in thine heart that God hath raised from the dead, thou shalt be saved. Romans 10, 10, for with the heart man believeth unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Why should I get saved? Because the very gift of what Jesus Christ was willing to bring to us. See, when you, when you continue on after John 3.16, you know what John 3.16 says. Many of you have grown up in church, and that was one of the first verses that you learned in Sunday school. But when you stop at John 3.16, you lose something. You lose something. See, this is what the Bible says. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. John 3.17 For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. Amen. He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth on uh, not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. Of God. And this is the condemnation that light has come into the world, and men love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. You say, Where do I go from here? For by grace are you saved through faith. And that not of yourself, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. Listen to me. If you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ your personal Savior, please come. There are men of God who would love, I'd love to sit down with you and give you the Bible this morning and show you how to be saved. This morning, I want to talk to the Christians, whatever Christians should be. I understand that we're still needing some change. And as I was thinking about this message, it actually came out what Paul's life was and what it meant to me. Would you look at verse 8? Whatever Christian should be, every Christian should be thankful. The Bible says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you, for you all, that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. As Paul begins 
to talk to the Rome, uh, the Christians there uh, at the church of Rome, I find that I see his motives here. See, he tells them that he's thankful for them. He's thankful for his God, but he's thankful for them. There is none of the envy that would make or mark a lesser man. You see, Paul was not the founder of this church. It had been founded by another, but many men would have been jealous of the blessings that the Romans were enjoying. And I want you to notice the people were the talk of the entire world everywhere. Where Paul traveled, uh, you would find that the people were talking about this Roman church. Understand how the jealousy could come up, how the jealousy could ride up into a human being uh, to see this church uh, 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 enjoying the blessings of God. But understand, Paul... He was not jealous. He was actually helping and bringing them up and telling others what Christ has done for this church. Every one of us could learn a lesson from this. I think that God would have His children to be thankful, people. I thank God for what He's done in my life. I've had ups. And I'm let me tell you, I've had downs. But can I say this? When I'm high, I need to thank God. When I'm on the mountaintop, I need to thank God. When I'm in the valley, I need to learn to thank God. It's hard because we complain. We We want others to come around us and to get in that pity party. And you know the only two people that are in that pity party are you and Satan. We need to learn to have the joy of the Lord and to be thankful for what He's done in our life. And every one of us can learn a a great lesson from this. And I think that God would have His children to be thankful people. In fact, I know that a thankful spirit in the Lord for all of us, for every single one of us, would be... Would you look at a verse this morning? Look at 1 Thessalonians 5. In verse 18, look at 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 18. First Thessalonians chapter 5. In verse 18, the Bible says, In everything give thanks. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus concerning you. You know what? It's funny. <clears throat> Our dear brother's father here, Brother Branson, he's not out here. He's with the children's church. Thank God for great teachers who are willing to teach our children. But you know what his praise was Wednesday night? And he repeated that this morning in Sunday school. He said, you know what? I went to the mechanics, just to get my car inspected. And thank God I was there because my car broke down. How are you thankful that your car broke down? Because he looked, his attitude was, it was already at the mechanics. He said the part was like $30. You know what he was looking? He was looking at the whole big picture of the situation because it could have costed him a lot more. Anybody paid for a tow bill lately? 
You know, I thank, I thank God for a son that's got a big truck and a trailer because uh, <clears throat> those tow bills are very expensive. You say, where are you going with this? Absolutely nowhere. <laughs> we are to be Christians, to be thankful. Here's the sad part. Many Christians are not thankful this morning. Many Christians are not thankful. How does one go to, 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 to start cultivating a thankful spirit? And I think the real answer lies in placing Jesus at the center of our life. We're so focused. When the, when the rug kicks out from underneath us, instead of looking up, we start to look around and we look at the circumstances around us. And Jesus said, do not look around but we need to look up and our focus needs to be up instead of around. If you make Him your sufficiency, then you'll always be satisfied. But if you, on the other hand, you make the material, the physical, your priority, if you make that your focus, then I can promise you you're going to be defeated and you're going to be depressed. And the secret lies in being satisfied with Jesus. You know, Philippians chapter 4 verse 10 said this, But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again, wherein ye were also careful, but ye lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. You know what? Paul knew. He understood the fact of pain and suffering, but he, 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 he could not say anything worse than, than that against our hearts because we don't like what he's saying here. He said, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in whatsoever state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be abased and I know how to be abound everywhere and in all things. I am instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. I can do all things through Christ, which strengthens me. Many, many years ago, a lot of, a lot of y'all may know my back story, but a lot of you do not. 2012, I had a five and a half foot blood clot, and in the same week, I ended up having multiple vertebrates to come out of my back. It was the worst time of my life. And it was, it was hard and it's, it was financially blowing to us. I didn't, I didn't save a lot of money at that time. I didn't, I didn't make preparations for my family. And here we got to the point of, of scraping the barrel. But God was still good. He was still feeding us. He was still taking care of our bills. But it was hard. My kids, if I, if I mention a certain meal, they go in disgust because my wife, she's a great cook. But all we had at that point, we had beans. I believe white beans, northern beans. If you like beans in here, raise your hand. You know, some good old home-fashioned cooking. But yet, we had had beans several times. And so my wife and her thinking goes, you know what? I'm going to try something a little different. We ain't got a lot of money. So I'm going to make something called bean patties. 
I can promise you we never had those again. <laughs> can I say this? We were thankful for what God gave us. It was hard. Especially when you're putting that in your mouth. <laughs> when I look at the scriptures, 1 Timothy, 1 Timothy chapter 6, says this, but godliness with contentment is great gain. For we brought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. I'm, and having food and raiment, let us be therewith content. But they that will be rich fall into temptation and the snare and into many foolish and hurtful lusts which drown men in destruction and perdition. Let your conversation be without covetousness. Hebrews 13.5 and be content with such things as you have. For he has said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. You know, there's another application I can make here this morning. And I want to make mention before I move on real quick. I believe that every Christian, every church should have this very same testimony that these Roman Christians had. These people were known everywhere for their solid faith and lifestyle. Can I say that again? Every Christian in this room, every church should have the very substance that they had for their solid faith in Jesus Christ and what He's done in their life and their lifestyle. See, the same should be said for every church, every individual this morning, whether we are at home, on the job, in the market, anywhere that we go, we should be a testimony that marks us belonging to the Lord Jesus Christ. Number two, every Christian should be committed. Now, I'm going to be honest with you. These, the next several outlines are going to be shorter. And please don't fret. There's nine. So I'll go pretty quick with the rest of them. But I had a great man say this yesterday. He said, I'm not worried about the outline. It's more conviction. Would you look at verse nine this morning? Every Christian should be committed. Every Christian should be committed. Would you look at verse 9? He said, For God is my witness, whom I serve with my spirit, in the gospel of His Son, that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayer. Paul now tells the Romans that he's totally committed to the Lord. Every word he uttered, everything he wrote, everywhere he went, Paul was living a witness of total and complete surrender. This is certainly explains the reason behind Paul's great success when nothing else matters in your life. But what matters to the Lord? His work will get done. I don't know where this message finds you this morning. But I do know this, this is an area of my life I have to, I need work on. I need to be more committed to Him, to who He is, to His work. See, I want you to notice here in this verse, He said, For God is my witness whom I serve. That's a great word there. It's the same word that's translated worship in other parts of the New Testament. Every time you serve the Lord Jesus Christ, you're worshiping Him. You're trusting Him. You're walking with Him. You know what? You're, you're serving Him. It is my opinion that there is no greater form of worship that can be rendered unto the Lord than pure heartfelt service and devotion to the Lord. You know, 
when you do history on the servant, our mind always goes back to the wrong kind of servant. But for us to be servants, that means my will is not my will any longer, but it's of the master. My will should be what the master's will wants for me. The Bible says this, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable woman to God, which is your reasonable service. Can I ask you a question? Is your life committed this morning? If not, it should be. The Bible says in Romans chapter 12, verse 2, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. You know what? When God tells you to serve Him, you know what we should do? Serve Him. When He tells us to go out and witness, you know what we should do? Go out and witness. Our job is being committed to Him. But what about number three? Every Christian should be prayerful. Look at the second part of verse 9. He says, I serve with my spirit in the gospel of a son that without ceasing I make mention of you always in my prayers. Listen to me, we need to be praying people. How much do you pray? How much time do you spend with the Lord? I mentioned this the other night. We need to be committed to the Lord, but how much commitment do you have before, before Him in prayer? My wife and I, I'm not the greatest communicators. She'll tell you, I'll take something and I'll run with it and I'll do it by myself. It's, it's, that's what I'm made of. You know, it's, it's, it's something I had to learn as my kids grew up. I used to be a <clears throat> master technician and I'd work on cars. And even when I owned my own shop, my kids would come out and spend time with me. And uh, I, I would like shoo them away because I didn't have time. I wanted to get things done. But you know what? <clears throat> I can't get this done. I can't get life done by myself. I found out it's a hard road. It's something I had to learn to lean on. Paul had a ministry of prayer. That is, he made prayers priority for the Roman believers and were never taken off of Paul's prayer list. There is no record of what he prayed for. There's no record of anything that he had. But can I say this? You, you could probably find the answer to that question in prayers, and I'm not going to look there um, in, in, in other verses, but in Ephesians chapter 3, verse 14 through 19, he said this, For this cause I bow my knees unto the Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with my, uh, he, uh, with might by a spirit in the inner man that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith that ye being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all saints what is in the breadth and length and depth and height to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge that he might be filled with all fullness of God. If I come home and I've had a hard day, <clears throat> 
And you know what? I'm busy about my day. I got plenty of things to do. But if I walk in and I, I walk right by my wife, and my wife's just standing there going, what am I, chopped liver? I mean, sometimes you got your mind, it's not where it needs to be, and you're so occupied. And I walk by my wife, and I go and I go about my day, and the evening comes, and I, I continue on my day. I, I go to bed. I've not said a word to her. I've not said a word to my kids. The first thing they're going to think is, whoa, dad's had a bad day. Something's wrong. But then, day two, I do the same thing. I get up, I leave, don't say a word. I come home, don't say a word. They say, there's something wrong. I thank God for my love letter here. 66 books of a love letter that, that Jesus Christ gave to us but you know what his love letter is here before me but I'm not here before him he wants to hear from you he wants to hear you speak to him just like my wife would go you know what I, I, I need to find out what's wrong you know God doesn't have to try to find out what's wrong with us he already knows it's just we got to realize where we're wrong before God. Paul's man of prayer is praying wasn't selfish, but rather it was always spiritual and was on behalf of others instead of himself. What a lesson for us today. Can I say this? It's okay when you have pains in the middle of the night and you say, Lord, I, I need you to help me. Lord, I need you to help this pain. Lord, I got bills that, that need to be paid. I don't know how to pay them. I got, I got uh, situations that, but you know what? If you focus on yourself all the time, it becomes a problem. I notice when I focus more on other people that I focus less on myself. What's your prayer life like? See, the Bible is very clear. It says, bear ye one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Romans 15.1, we then are strong, ought to bear the affirmities of the weak and not to please our, uh, ourselves. Excuse me. God would have you and me involved in a prayer ministry that touches the lives of others. Ephesians 6.18, praying always with all prayers and supplications in the Spirit and watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplications for all saints. How would you describe your prayer life this morning? Number Four, every Christian should be surrendered. Look at verse 10. The Bible says this, making request, if by any means, now at length, now at length, excuse me, I might have a prosperous journey by the will of God to come unto you. Every Christian should be surrendered this morning. Paul didn't stop with prayers. You know what he did? He was committed. And then he became surrendered. You say, what do you mean that? Isn't that backwards? No. I have a 2012 Traverse sitting there in my driveway. And I got to pull the motor out of it. I enjoy stuff like that. When I was getting paid for it and had to do it, it became a different situation. I can, be, I can be committed to going out there 
and pulling that motor out, but until I'm surrendered and get up and go do it, nothing will ever change. Paul didn't stop with prayer. He continued praying to be the instrument of God as God would answer prayers. His desire was to travel to Rome, but Paul was willing to surrender his will to the will of God. You know, I've already touched on the matter of surrender, but this is the Lord's will for every Christian this morning. He wants us to be a willing participant. Sixteen foot, eight inch board, two inches thick. As much as I want to try to bend that board, there's only a certain point that board will bend before it breaks. But did you know if I took that board and I left it outside and I propped it over a couple of bricks and I left it out in the rain and I left it out in the weather and as it was in that weather, you know what it does? It forms a bow. You know what? As we spend time with God, as we listen to His command, as we surrender to God's steps. You know what happens to us as we spend more time with God? We start to bow to His will. So many times we're unwilling to weather that storm with the Lord. We're unwilling to walk with the Lord. We're unwilling to listen to the Lord. And you know what we do? Many Christians, they go, snap. You want to know why so many Christians are in their, in their, in their life and they're broken and they don't have joy? Because they were unwilling to bend and mold to the Lord's will. And we get frustrated. And we break. You say, how did this Christian, how did this Christian fall out of the way? How did he, how did he, why is he not coming to church anymore? Why is he not living for the, for the Lord? Because he was unwilling to bend to the Lord's will. Every Christian should be usable. Look at verse 11. For I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift to the end you may be established. As Paul continues to to reveal his heart to the Roman church, to the Christians, he tells them why he wishes to come to Rome. He wants to share the gifts that God has given him. And it is as Paul is telling the Romans, God has blessed me. And what I want to do is I want to give the blessings that God has given me. I want to give it to you. It tells us in no certain terms that Paul wanted to be usable to the Lord in his work. And Paul was referring to the actual gifts of the Spirit because... They are given only by the Spirit of God. Neither is he referring to the gift of salvation. That is only by faith through Jesus Christ. But what Paul is saying is that he's willing to come to them, be used by God as the Lord saw fit. It is... It's as if the apostle was willing to be used by the Lord in any fashion, in any way to the Roman church. In other words, Paul isn't saying, look, I'm unwilling to go this far. I'm unwilling to do this much. He says, God, whatever you have for me, whatever you want with me, I'll do. He just wants to go to Rome, be used by the Lord to be a blessing to someone. May I say this this morning? What a lofty goal. It is for every Christian to try to achieve. But it's a great need today for, 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 for the people of the church, for the people of, of our community.
we, who are not primarily interested in their own agenda, but whose main goal is just to be used by the Lord, and all they want is just the blessing. They want the blessing of God. See, if I'm walking with God, if I'm being used by God, guess where the blessings come? He places a blessing on those who are willing to be His and be used by Him. But would you look at verse 12? Every Christian should be humble. That is, that I may be comforted together with you by the mutual faith, both you and me. Not only does the apostle desire to be a blessing to the Romans, but he knows that they will be a blessing to him as well. Paul knew his insufficiencies. Paul knew how to allow someone to, maybe who's got a gift better than him, Maybe, maybe someone who can be a help to him. It's hard for me to humble myself. I'm human. It's hard for me to, to, to watch my boys grow up. Because if they're growing up and they're getting older, my daughter's growing up and she's getting older, you know what? Guess who else is getting older? Their mama. I'm just messing. But I should be able to be humble enough to say, you know what? I thank God for what God's doing in my children's life. And if they can be smarter than me, if they can do God's will better than me, Lord, please do it. God, whatever, whatever you can do in their life, I should be humble enough to say, if they're better than me in anything in life, that's a good thing. Right. I've taught them well. Better yet, I've showed them well with my life. We should be people who are humble enough to allow God to work. First Corinthians 10, 12, Wherefore let him that thinketh he standeth, Take heed lest he fall. God pity the person who thinks they're on an island by themselves. You know, before the great missionary to India, William Carey boarded the ship to sail. He was asked by some close friends if this was what he really wanted to do. And his reply shows the humility of his heart. This is what Carey said. He said, I will go down into the pit itself if you will hold the rope. I'd like to confess to you this morning. That you and I need each other to accomplish the will of God. I can't do it on my own. You can't do it on your own. Each one of us need each other's prayers and support to be able to serve the Lord to the degree that He expects us to. Not everybody can be the head. Thank God for our pastor. Not everybody can be the head. But I can promise you, we got some good arms in here. We got some good hands in here. We got some good legs and knees. We got some good feet. You say, what are you talking about? Because we are, as Christians, the body of Jesus Christ. And God uses us in that fashion and matter. He expects every one of us to be in a total position of dependence. And we need dependence of people. See, it's then when you realize just how important they are to you in your life. God, help us to remember that we need one another very desperately. 
But then real quick, very look at verse 13. Every Christian should be fruitful. The Bible says this, Now I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purpose to come unto you, but was let hitherto that I might have some fruit among you also, even as among other Gentiles. Listen, Paul reminds them that he is interested in glorifying the Lord and doing that only. He has been used to the Lord to bear fruit all over the known world. Paul, what he's done, he says that he would like to travel to Rome so that he can get some fruit there also. You know what? That was good this morning in Sunday school, wasn't it, y'all? It was good in Sunday school. I got some things. I learned some things. I like learning. When you quit learning, you die. Paul says that he would like to, 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 to allow God to not only bless him, but have others to bless him. But when the scriptures speak of spiritual fruit, there are usually one of three things in mind that I come to with spiritual fruit the first there is the idea of attitude. It's, it's funny how our Sunday school lesson came about this morning. Our attitude. Our attitude which should present in life of every Christian. These attitudes are represented by the ninefold description of the fruit of the Spirit. And for the sake of time, I won't go there. But I'll ask you to look at Galatians 5.22. Not right now, but later on. And would you look at the fruit of the Spirit? But a second idea is that, that of the activity. When a believer lives for the Lord, there's going to be activity in the life and the fruit that will be born up uh, for the glory of, of the Lord. It's funny. In our house, we got a, a row of bushes and trees. And you can always tell the trees that are dying. We got trees behind our house that we're about to have cut down. But these trees, they've lost their fruit. Their leaves. Their bark is dying. Don't let you be a Christian this morning that the fruit is gone. And you're unusable. One of the fears of my life is that God would not place me up on the shelf and quit using me. We need to be Christians who say, Lord, I want to be used by you. And Lord, please do not put me on the shelf. When a believer lives for the Lord, there's going to be activity in his life. That fruit's going to be born. And three, three activities translate into this fruit. You got holy living. You got praise that's going to be manifested in your life. Here, we're going to see what God is doing in your life. You have the attitude, the activity. What about the addition? This refers to the addition of souls. Uh, how many souls have you led to the Lord this year? You say, I, I can't talk to people. You don't have to talk to people except for this. Tell them about your testimony. Yeah. Maybe you don't know a lot of scriptures. We should. We should. You say, it's getting harder to remember scriptures. I understand that. I'm, I'm right there with you. You ever thought about writing some down on a card? You know, they got some wonderful tracks back here that has the scripture on it. But you know what? Give them your testimony. You ever, you ever led someone to the Lord? 
the Lord gave me the opportunity, uh, not this past Sunday night, but Sunday before last, to be able to lead a 23-year-old man to the Lord. He made a profession of faith as a young man, and he had just been riding that train, that riding the coattails of his father, and, and he, he didn't realize the, the relational issue between himself and God. He could not understand that it's not from the mindset, but the heart set. He was getting ready to, uh, to, to miss heaven by 12 inches because he didn't know it was a heart. He just knew by the head, who's the last person you led to the Lord? Whether the fruit you bear for the Lord is manifested in your attitude or your activities or the addition of souls, you need to know that the fruit that comes upon your life glorifies the Lord. How does a Christian go about bearing fruit? Simply by abiding in the vine. Real quick, every Christian should be obligated. Look at verse 14. He says, I am a debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. Here he said, you know, he's, he's talking to the Roman church and he's understanding that with that heartfelt deep debt to those who needed to hear the gospel, he was a debtor to the lost. When's the last time you were indebted to anyone? You say, well, I'm in debt up to my neck with finances. That is not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about you have so much a desire and so much of a burden to see people saved that you can't sleep, that you can't eat, and it affects your whole being. When's the last time you said, Lord, whatever you have for me, Lord, I'm going to lead someone to the Lord. Paul, he had a burden. He said, I'm indebted. I am obligated. Let me remind you this morning that you and I are indebted to the lost as well. We aren't in debt to God for the gift of salvation that was given to us, was given to us freely, a perfect gift. But we are, however, indebted to those who are dying, those who are perishing. We hold in our hands the answer to the problem of sin for them and we're unwilling to give it to them. Every believer in this room needs to remember that we owe a debt to every person who lives around us. How do I discharge this debt? It's only telling people about the Savior. Can I? Yes, you can if you're saved. But then, would you look at verse 15? Every person, every Christian this morning should be eager. You say, what do you mean? Look at verse 15. So I, as much as in me, as I am ready to preach the gospel of you that are at Rome also. You know, Paul, he closes this section of the scriptures. And he tells the Romans that he is ready to go preach the gospel. The word ready means he's eager. Paul is saying, I can't wait. I can't wait to get to Rome so that I can preach the gospel. In other words, Paul, he's excited about his call. 
He's excited about his commission. He's excited, listen, to be a Christian. Do not ever let someone put you down for being a Christian. We need to stand up and be glad that we're saved. Be glad that you're a Christian this morning. And you've got to be eager this morning to serve him. Be eager this morning to tell others about Jesus Christ. May I say this morning that every Christian should be eager about serving the Lord. Isn't it true that we often lack that air of excitement? It's said that very few Christians show the joy of the Lord on their face. You ever, you know, these guys understand. If you've ever stood before a congregation at all, sometimes it can get disheartening. I've been to many different churches and I've preached and I wondered if they were Christians at all because there was no joy of the Lord. I mean, we really get into things of the flesh. We like football. I'm a, I love football. I'm not happy about my team this year, but I love football. Maybe you like hunting. Maybe you like fishing for the ladies. Maybe you like shopping. Maybe you like racing, whatever it may be. It's funny that we get so excited out of a worldly event, but we don't get excited about God. Where are those who get excited when it gets close to church time? Man, I can't wait to get to church. I can't wait to hear what the, what the pastor has for me. I can't wait to, to see what God is going to do in my life. And those, we don't like change. You know, you've heard the term, it's hard for a dog to learn new tricks. You know what? I don't believe that. With the Holy Spirit, we can all change. Eager implies a sense of urgency. See, Paul, he knew that he had a joy to give those to those who needed to hear the gospel. And you know what? We're running out of time. Can I say that again? We are running out of time. We're talking about Israel in war. When's the last time you saw Israel in war? You say, can we, can we take that to the bank of when the Lord's coming back? No, no, we can't. But the Bible does tell us there's rumors of wars. And the Bible is very clear that the transition periods before he comes back. Is there anything that holds the hand of Jesus Christ from coming back? Absolutely nothing. The Bible says he can come back at any time, at any moment. And he can come as I'm still preaching or finishing. We need to the same urgency about our service for the Lord. We need to realize that one day our lives will end and it's too late. The time is done. You know, I, th- I think it's safe to say that Paul represents whatever Christian should be. You know, I wondered, and I, I, I wondered this morning, excuse me. Those areas that you and I need to work in, those areas 
Are you willing to be surrendered? Are you willing to allow the Lord to work, to change you? Is there a lack of eagerness or urgency? You know, if I were to confess, I have these same issues, I have these same problems that I have to deal with uh, today, and I invite you to come this morning before the Lord and deal with them. You know what? We're not alone today. Our God is here with us. Would you bow your head and close your eyes?